Hey, I want you to get your Bibles out and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. So Matthew is the first book in the New Testament and uh, we're going to dive into this brand new series today. Uh, how many of you have more than 20 apps on your phone? How many of you have more than 50 apps on your phone? How many of you don't even want to play this game because you got so many apps you don't even have a clue, right? So I have this app on my phone and it's called Roadside America. And uh, I've had it for a number of years and I don't use it all the time, but I think it is one of the best apps because anytime you're traveling, it, you can like hit the GPS thing so it knows where you are. And it brings up a whole list of things that are close to you that you probably have never heard before. So like you're traveling someplace and there's big things we know, right? So like if you go to Sacramento, like the capital, well, you know, everyone knows where the capital is, but there's all these other like little weird things around that you would, you would never miss. Kind of the, 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 the places that not very many people go and not very many people know about. So one time we were down in the, the Northern LA area and our daughter was going to school down there and I was looking on my roadside America and I remember t- telling Gina, it's like, do you know that one of the like Apollo rocket engines is in a parking lot like two miles from here? So we went and saw it. Now, you're not going to spend the whole day there with that, but it was just like, like how many times have you seen an Apollo engine, a rocket engine? It was just crazy. Then one time we were in San Antonio, Texas, and we went to the Alamo, and I looked on my app, and guess what? At the very back of the Alamo, there's two graves for the two cats that were killed in the Alamo uprising. I mean, it's like, like when do you ever get to see things like that? And I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't want to see things like that. But it's just, it's just filled with all these little weird things that you go. And it's like, man, these are, the, these are kind of the, the places that nobody sees and, and nobody goes. But there's something just different about them that connects you. Well, Jesus went to a lot of different places as well. And he didn't even have an app. Well, when you read through scripture, you see that he went to places of solitude. He also went to places that were celebrations. He went to weddings and he went to funerals. He went to parties and he went to dinners. He went fishing and he went on long walks with his friends. He went to places that no one really wanted to go. And he connected with people that no one really wanted to see. Jesus went to the outcast and he went to the elite. Jesus went to the grand temple, and he went to humble homes. And over these next few weeks, we're going to look at some of those places that Jesus went. And here's the thing, we're not just doing it so that you could get a map out and like, Jesus was here, and Jesus was here. It's not meant to be like a a geographical study in all the places that, that he went. What it's meant to do is begin to show us that Jesus went and he still goes with you and I to the most joyous, but also to the most challenging places in your life. Because sometimes isn't our thought is, I'm all alone. Like where's God in all this? And to know that Jesus went and he's still going with you, wherever that may be. So today we're gonna start this series by looking how Jesus went to the desert. Now, there's a lot of different words that get interchanged with this word desert, and you'll see them all through scripture. Words like the wilderness and desolate places and lonely places or isolated places, but they're talking about the same type of place. 
See, the desert is a place where there's not a lot of shelter. It can seem really desolate, like there's, there's not much to drink or eat or anything to, to keep you, you nourished and going. You're, you're away generally from personal comforts. The desert and the wilderness is places where you're more vulnerable, where there can be danger. If you've ever seen some of the news footage, you know, these desert, these sandstorms can come through, can literally come through in minutes or they can last days. And they have a way of stripping away everything that is trying to find life in their deserts can do that. And those are just the physical deserts. But what about the mental deserts that we face? What about the emotional, relational, and spiritual deserts that we find ourselves in? I think if we live long enough, we will have times where we find ourselves in those kinds of places. And it's hard. It can be really hard. The desert is where nourishment for our souls can be scarce. Sometimes when you're in those places, it seems like family and friends and relationships and marriages can be, can be distant, and you have no idea what you've done or how you even arrived here. It just sometimes feels different. And you think, well, what changed? And maybe you can't even put it into words. But you feel drained, and you feel exhausted, and you feel isolated. And it may even be that you feel all these things kind of rolling within you and and you know that it's building some stuff up from the past and all these things come together and there's this part of you that maybe feels like if you even crack that door an inch, you're not even sure if you could shut it again. There's just too much there. And in those times, we find ourselves wondering how we can even pray and how we can even interact. And maybe you're even thinking, what in the world is wrong with me? Well, those are all desert places. Now that's on that side of things, but the desert is also the place where the enemy can run wild in our life and temptation can hit us like it's never hit us before. It's a place of barrenness where we're often confronted by what may just be false in us. The desert has a way of stripping away all that we've built up, all that we've hidden behind, all the masks, all the identity that has sheltered us that we have built up to see, hey, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not too bad, right? That false part in us. But here's, here's the power of that as well. The desert is where we can sometimes see most clearly as some of that stuff gets scrubbed clean in us. Do you know that God does some of his greatest work in the desert? If you were to go and do a study through the Bible, and you look at all these encounters that happen in the wilderness, in the desert, whatever word you want to use of that, you will find that God does his best refining work in those challenging times. The desert is where Abraham and Sarah were called to birth a nation. The desert is the place where Moses, after all that he'd gone through in Egypt and then all the shepherding sheep he'd done for 40 years finally arrives at a place where he takes off his shoes because he's on holy ground and God is speaking through a burning bush. All that happened in those places. King David had his leadership and his character forged in the desert. The nation of Israel is on this 40-year journey through the desert being stripped away of false idols and a dependency on something other than God because he was preparing them for a promised land. 
John the Baptist in the New Testament is a voice, the Bible says, crying in the wilderness as he was preparing a way for Jesus. The Apostle Paul, when he had his life transforming encounter with Jesus, is on a road between cities in the wilderness. And then we read in Galatians chapter one that Paul went out into the desert at a time after that and God did some deep work in Paul in those desolate places. So it shouldn't surprise us then that Jesus, after he's baptized, after he's filled with God's spirit, is sent out where? To the desert. Now one of the things that we can falsely assume is that when we are in a desert in our life, it's that we've done something wrong. And sometimes that's the case, but not necessarily. The desert, the desert, again, is that dry place where God does some of his deepest work. And there are gonna be times and seasons, just as he did in leaders and people of the past, where he needs to lead us into those places as well, where we can look at ourselves and face the inner workings of our heart and our soul where the false self and the masks get stripped away and we can see clearly and experience his grace and his strength. So today, we're gonna go where Jesus went to the desert. And we're gonna see the temptations that he faced and how Jesus wants to go with us to those challenging, dry places. But just understand this, that Jesus, and I know we're talking figuratively here, but Jesus is not sitting back going, hey, good luck out there in the desert, I hope you come back. He's not, he's not distancing himself from us, you know, as we walk away going, eh, I don't know. I don't know if they can do it. That's not, that's not what we read about Jesus. He says that he is with us. He went to the desert and he goes with us into ours. Here's what we read uh, about Jesus in Hebrews. It says, this high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. I know it's, it's, it's easy to read a verse like that and feel that it's a, it's a condemning verse, it's a shame verse. See, Jesus did it and he didn't sin, but look at you. you that's not what the writer is getting at here. He's saying, Jesus knows he's been there, he's experienced it, and he is for you. He understands what that desert is like. He understands what the challenge is like. And oh, if you could just sense and know his heart for you in this. Jesus overcame temptation and he walks with us so that we can overcome. He went to the desert and he goes with us to our desert places. So if you've got a sheet there, I want you to write these few things down. The first is this. I can expect to be tempted. Now, I know that's not the most encouraging word you've ever heard in your life, but, but think about it. I mean, we've lived enough of life, right, to know that temptations come, and they come not just once in a blue moon, but they come frequently into our lives. And it's not all big, gigantic stuff. Sometimes it's the smallest things, to cut corners, to do our own way, to have our pride and our ego, you know, whatever it might be, all these things come into our lives. So let's start right at the beginning of this desert experience. Look at Matthew 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Now, we're going to go kind of piecemeal through this, so I want to stop there for a second. But did you see that? It says he was led by the Spirit. 
It means he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. And still, he walked into a season of desolation, a season of isolation, a season of temptation. Now, as I said just a couple of minutes ago, we have a tendency to think when we face temptation that God must have abandoned us or there's something wrong with us or else we wouldn't be experiencing this. But Jesus was tempted, and we can expect it as well. Now, there's a key important distinction I think we need to make, that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, but it wasn't God who was doing the tempting. We see that it was the enemy at play in that. God doesn't tempt you with sin. He doesn't try to entice you with evil opportunities. If you're familiar at all with our our legal and justice system that goes on, there's a law against entrapment, right? Have you ever heard of this? You probably haven't heard of it like legally, but you've seen it on TV shows, right? Like you can't entrap somebody. And what that means is if there's an undercover police officer and he's trying to arrest people for dealing in the, the drug trade, he can't come up to people and go, hey, psst, I'll give you a really good deal on this. No, I'm not interested. Oh, come on. You can just even throw it away. You can just give it to someone, but come on, you can do it. I'll give you a BOGO. You can buy one, get one, half off. You know? It's like a great deal. You know? Somebody can't keep coming and coming and coming and, and entrapping you and tempting you in that. And then as soon as you go, well, just to get you away from me, okay, I'll do it. Oh, you're arrested. They can't do that because it's considered entrapment. But I think sometimes we think, and I know that's kind of a silly example, but I think sometimes we, we think God kind of moves that way. That he puts things in front of us and says, come on, just, just try it. And then we feel like, ah, there's condemnation coming if I, if I mess up or do it. Like, why, why would God put me in that? Why would God allow that to happen? Why would God put that in front of me? God doesn't tempt us. Temptation is inevitable. And he will use that to strengthen us and refine us. But he isn't the one doing the tempting. James 1.13 says this, and remember when you're tempted, don't say God is tempting me because God is never tempted to do wrong himself and he never tempts anyone else. See, his desire isn't to try to find out where we can fail, but it's to be with us and to give us power over temptation. Do you know what Jesus heard? right before he took his first step into the desert. If you know, if you go back a chapter, he's been baptized uh, by John the Baptist, and it was this full stop moment. He's coming up out of the water when the Son of God hears his Father's proclamation over him. And in Matthew 3, God says this, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. This wasn't God punishing Jesus. This wasn't God trying to wreck or ruin Jesus. He's looking at his son and going, hey, everyone, do you guys understand? This is the son that I love. And he brings me joy. I I am so pleased with my son. Sometimes we think God could never utter those words about us because we've failed and we've fallen. God looks at you and he loves you so much. We sang it in that last song. Oh, he loves us. Oh, oh, how he loves us. It's it's like this hurricane of love, right? We sang those kinds of words. And God speaks these words of of being pleased and 
and joy over Jesus. He, stra- he, he, he speaks words of strength and approval. And then, like it so often happens after a peak experience, we often find ourselves in places that are like a desert, places where we feel alone. And that's exactly what Jesus is experiencing. Think about, think about this moment when he's baptized. It's the beginning, really, of, of his ministry at that point. And he hears the words from the Father, this is my son in whom I'm so well pleased. You think the next event in his life would have been something amazing like the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Remember where they took their cloaks and you know, palm branches and put them on, on, the, on the road and cheering Jesus, you know, Hosanna, he's come. You think, well, that would be a, a great follow-up moment. Or maybe after hearing those words of approval from his father, that would be the moment of feeding the 5,000, right? I mean, let's, let's just keep building on the success. Let's just keep moving forward. How great would that be? But it wasn't. It was 40 lonely days and nights in the desert. It was, it was preparing Jesus for what was to come. And sometimes after our peaks, there's this time of challenge and temptation. There's this, there's this refinement that goes on. Because God's mad at you? No, because he loves you. And he desires to do something more in you. Now, as Jesus is facing this temptation, I, I think we need to kind of come to terms with, obviously, we can expect it, that it's coming. But also, it's not going to hit our strong places. It's going to hit us where we're most vulnerable, where we feel most disconnected, where we, we feel most weak. After Jesus was alone in the desert for 40 days and nights, look what happens in verse 3. It says, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, it's a key phrase right there, if you are, then tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Why did, why did the enemy go there? Because Jesus was hungry. And he says, if you really are, again, he's questioning his whole identity. If you really are the Messiah, if you really are, you say who you are, if you really have power, prove it. I know you're hungry, so why don't you just turn these rocks into stones? He's asking him to kind of twist and use what he's been given to, to meet his own personal need, like completely circumvent God. I'm just going to handle this on my own. And aren't we tempted with that too? To be our own God, to handle our own thing, to do it our own way? And see, that's where we're most vulnerable. Temptation doesn't hit you where you're strong, but where you're weak. I'll tell you, I've never been tempted to rob a bank. Okay, one time. But... (laughs) I was waiting for a friend outside the bank and I saw the truck pull up and it's like, eh, I wonder if I could do that. But you know, not really. Like I'm not really tempted to rob a bank. I'm not really tempted to, you know, at the grocery store, you know, just like grab all the cash out of the till and run for it. Like that's never been a temptation in my life. But for some people who are desperate, who find themselves at the end of a rope, who don't know what to do, those become very real temptations. See, we're all tempted just in different ways. But it's not going to be where it's like, I don't even think about that. It's not a temptation. It's where I'm vulnerable. If your career is thriving and your marriage is struggling, you want to take a wild guess where the enemy wants to attack you? It's not going to be your career. It's going to be your relationship. 
If you're struggling in school, if you're struggling with your finances, if you're struggling with an addiction, the temptation is going to be to cut corners. The temptation is going to be to live in secret, to have the public self that you put up going, see, everything is great, and inside you're going to be just taking a left turn over here, right? That's going to be the temptation, to live in secrecy. Or maybe it's going to be, I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm, uh, yeah, God, you're great and everything like that, but I'm just, I'm going to be my own God. No, we don't say that. But isn't that the greater temptation? Does it mean we just give up and quit and go, I, I can't live up to that? No, here's the thing. I'm invited to live in preparation and expectation. The temptation hits me where I'm vulnerable. So rather than doing what we have all done, and sometimes continue to do. I'm, I'm right with you, right? I'm gonna try harder. I fail. <laughs> I wanna be better next time. I'm gonna try. And you know, this last year, I've talked about it several times. We try and we try and we try. We keep telling ourselves, I'll just keep trying harder. And what is Jesus inviting us to do? To train. To go about this differently. When I'm not in the circumstance, when I'm not in the heat of the battle, when I'm not under the temptation, those are the times that I continually allow my heart to be knit together with God's. I begin to put into place those things that, that draw me near to him so that when the battle comes, so that when the temptation comes, I have been training for that. And I know that can sound very legalistic and rigid and all that. It's really just deepening my union and my connection with God, right? That's what it is. But trying, it's just this futile attempt over and over again to work up our own strength. So how, how, many, of you have, uh, how many of you have ever run a marathon? Okay, got a couple of you, yeah. Some of you are going, not me. I don't ever wanna do that in my life, right? 26.2 miles, that's how far it is. So for those of you who've done it, congrats. That, that's a huge thing. So, but, but can you imagine, like, sitting here, you, you know, you leave here and you go home today, and, you, and, and the one thing that sticks out in the sermon is, Dave was asking who's run a marathon. You know, it's the one thing. I hope there's more, but that's the one thing that sticks in your mind. So you get home and you go, I'm going to do that. I'm going to run a marathon. And so you go, you sign up for one. And you don't run. You just, I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. And, and, and you start that race and you just keep thinking, I'm going to try, I'm going to try harder, I'm not going to give up, I'm going to keep trying harder. But you never train for it. How far do you think you're going to get? <laughs> not, very, not very far, right? I remember just a few weeks ago, we were talking at home, um, and uh, I think it was Gina that asked me, she goes, when did, when did you, uh, my running partner, Scott, we, we go out and run. He goes, she goes, when did you guys start running? It's like, man, when did we start running? You know, and I'm at that age where like, I don't even remember anymore, but it was a long time ago. And it's like, I don't remember how long it's been, but I remember what was the catalyst for it is we live over by Turlock High School and one summer night we'd taken our kids and we went over to the Turlock High Stadium and we had like Frisbee. I don't remember what we all had, but we were just going to go play there around the track. So sitting there going, I'm going to run around the track because I played sports in high school, you know, stayed pretty active and doing that. And I ran one time around the track and it's like, dear God, what has happened? You know, it's like, where did everything go? And it was this thing of like, I, 
I, I got to do something different. So I started, you know, walking and running and walking and running and doing that and train, train, train. And, and again, this wasn't on the clock and it wasn't in races. It was just several days a week getting out and doing that and building up to something more. And you know that that's what God's inviting us to do, that moment by moment, day by day, to train in him, to walk with him, to lean close to him. Paul wrote these words to this young man named Timothy. He said, don't waste your time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. And that's why over these past months and a couple years, we've been talking about some of those little things that we can do to begin to allow God to have more freedom and reign in our lives, right? I've talked to you about like setting alarms on your phone so that you're connected with God throughout the day. It's taking time to read some scripture. It's, it's having moments during the week when you slow down and you pause and you're just silent before the Lord to let him speak. And I know in, in our daily life, it's really hard to do those things. But what it does is it prepares us, it moves our heart closer to God, it's training us so that when the temptation hits, when it's hard, there's this spiritual muscle memory that's already there. I turn to God, I, you know, I, I move towards him. Think about Jesus, he's, he's in the desert. He's not going, don't turn the stones into, into bread, don't turn the stones into bread, don't turn the stones. He's not trying not to do that. Instead, he relies on his relationship with the Father and his training in truth. Look at verse four, Jesus says this. He says, no, I'm not gonna do that. The scriptures say, now, some of you think, well, he's Jesus, he's God, he knows all the scripture. No, he had trained himself in this righteousness. He's trained himself for this time of temptation. So he says, no, the scriptures say people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was relying on his relationship and his training with God. And I'll tell you, just as Jesus went to the desert, the place where he was most vulnerable, he goes with us to our most delicate and most vulnerable place, and he says, trust me, walk with me, train with me. Write this down for number two. Jesus takes me to the desert so I can see him. Now, temptation by its very nature is deceptive, right? It often presents to us in a type of twisted logic what it's proposing to be true. Matthew tells us that the devil took Jesus to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple, and then look at verse five and six. He said this to him, if you are the son of God, again, this whole identity thing, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Isn't this weird? The enemy, Satan, was quoting scripture to Jesus. And what he was quoting him was absolutely true. But the temptation was him, for him to apply it in a twisted, self-serving way. Here's what he was saying. Come on, Jesus. If you're really who you say you are, if you really are the son of God, then just show it. Live scripture. Live what's true, what, what, what God has already said. Or maybe you don't believe God will take care of you. Maybe he won't if you're not really the Messiah, right? See how twisted that all gets? And just like in your life, Satan knows which buttons to push. He, he knows where you're vulnerable. He, he causes you to question your true identity in Jesus. Really, you're a Christian? After what you just said, after what you just did? 
after what you've involved your life in, you call yourself, you say you love God? Well, if you really love God, right? We, we get those things all the time coming through. It's the bully that goes on in our head. And then he'll use whatever twisted logic he can. He brings up your past. He capitalizes on your fear, on your worry, on your anxieties, on your relationships, on your temper, on your desires, on your addictions. Satan tempted Jesus to jump from the temple in order to prove to the world that he was the Messiah. He tried to get him to do something wrong in order to accomplish something good. But Jesus had trained himself enough to see through Satan's twisted logic. Now I want you to catch this. Satan's business is not so much scaring us to death, like with these temptations, as persuading us that the danger of the sin is minimal. That's the greatest temptation. It's not that big of a deal. No one will ever know. I mean, who really cares? I mean, that, that's kind of the road everyone takes, right? That's the danger. It's not that big of a deal. And it's only later, right, that we find out the depth of what it does. And if we could really see beneath the temptation, we would often make different decisions. Look at the third temptation Jesus faces. Verses eight and nine. Next the devil took him up to the peak of a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. I want you to hear this. Temptation always promises what it can't deliver. Temptation always promises what it can't deliver. There's something so devious about these words because he's offering to give Jesus something that he already had from his father. And that's often how it happens in us. The temptation to receive something that only God can give, but he gives it in his way. Temptation will say, do this and you'll be happy. Do this and you'll have peace. Do this and you'll feel good about yourself. But the enemy can't give you happiness because it isn't his to give. And the enemy can't promise peace because peace only comes from God. He can only offer us cheap substitutes for the real thing that God is already inviting you into. God is already inviting you into fulfillment. He's already inviting you into joy and to peace and to experience his love. So what did Jesus do in this scenario? He relied on his relationship and his training again. Look at verse 10. Get out of here, Satan, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The last one is this, write it down. Jesus is with me in the desert. Through the times of struggle and temptation, there is also, as we said at the beginning, this refining and strengthening that can happen. But the question is this, will we humble ourselves and trust Jesus or keep trying and trying and trying on our own? James wrote this, so humble, you'll, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. What would it look like in your life if you, and I want you to hear this phrase, if you abandoned outcomes, you abandon those to God. See, we want what we want. And so it's like, that's what I'm praying to God, you, you gotta do this. What if instead we said, like Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. What if we abandoned outcomes to him? What would it look like to prepare and train for the battles and temptations ahead? 
Jesus isn't saying, be stronger, figure it out, stop failing. Instead, he's inviting us to lay down that false part in us and the masks and the identities that we've constructed to somehow show that we've got it together and that we're strong enough. He's asking us to lay those down because I'll tell you, the desert has a way of stripping those things away and instead to humble ourselves and come to him, to walk with him. Let me finish with this, Matthew 11. Jesus said this, and I love this translation. fits perfectly. Are you weary? Are you carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me, and I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, easy to please, and you will find refreshment and rest in me, for all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. Don't you love that? Jesus is your oasis. When you're in the desert and you're wondering, what's going on? There's no nourishment for your heart and soul. Jesus is your oasis. He's what you need. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for not just telling us about a desert, not just informing us about the challenge of it, not just painting a picture of what temptation is like. But Jesus, you went to the desert. You went to the place of desolation and isolation. You went to the place where you just feel like there's nothing here for you. And you faced that temptation as the enemy came against you. And you showed us, you lived what it's like to come out on the other side of that. And so, Lord, as we walk into our deserts, you're not far off. You are with us. You go with us to every place, to every situation. And I pray today that we would find hope and life in you. Lord, show us how to train in you, train in godliness not just beyond that endless cycle of try, try, try. God, would you build something deeper and stronger in us? We love you and we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So as we close, let me just tell you this. These three temptations of Jesus recorded in Matthew 4 and other places, well, aren't the only temptations that he faced, right? But they cover every temptation you and I will go through at its core, and Jesus faced them back to back to back. How did he do that? He remembered who he was, even when his identity was questioned. He remembered the purpose that God had set him on, his calling. He remembered this relationship with the Father, and he came back to that again and again. And he held to this training. And I realized while I'm speaking that maybe, maybe a lot of you in this room feel like you're in the desert. And this hit home in a different way today. And maybe, the, maybe God's the one who, who led you there, not to tempt you, but to strengthen you and strip away all that is false in you. Because his desire is to deepen and refine some things in you. So remember who you are in Christ. You're his chosen one, scripture tells us. Remember that you've been called by him that his love is, is eternal, it is 
everlasting for you. Remember this relationship with how you have with him. And come back moment by moment to training in godliness with him. In just a moment, uh, we're going to dismiss. In fact, I want you to stand right now. And what we're going to do is down here in front, we're going to have several of our team, in fact, staff, volunteers. If you're part of our prayer thing, come on down. Um, but if you're here today, you'd like someone just to pray with you for a moment. Come on down. We'd love a chance to do that. Also, if this is your first time with us, you're new here to New Life, we just are so glad you're here today. I hope today there's been this sense that, that God is here and he's for you today. But as our guest, we'd love just to say hi. So out in the middle of our lobby, there's this thing called Starting Point. You'll see a sign there. Just go by there. We have a little gift for you and we'd love just to say hi and uh, just welcome you and help you connect a little bit. So if you need prayer, come on down. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for worshiping us. Thank you for being part of God's family. Have a great week. You're dismissed. <laughs>